This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today I am excited to welcome Dr. Christina Delagenides to the show. Dr. Christina is a reproductive psychiatrist and has extensive experience in treating women with mood and anxiety disorders that are linked to menstrual cycles, pregnancy or postpartum, and perimenopause. Today, Dr. Christina is here to talk with us about baby blues versus postpartum depression. In this interview, we go through clearly outlining what baby blues are, how long they last for, and what the symptoms feel like versus postpartum depression, what it feels like, how long it lasts for, and how to tell the two apart. I hear from so many moms that I work with that are coming into therapy at maybe three months, four months, five months postpartum, thinking that they're experiencing baby blues, when really, if we were just more aware and educated on the difference between baby blues and postpartum depression, we would better know when to seek care and get the support that we need. So Dr. Christina is here with all her experience in this area to parse out these two different experiences and to help us know when to seek care. Let's hear my conversation with Dr. Christina. Hey mamas, Erica here. I don't know about you, but I spent my time before baby's arrival prepping things like the nursery and shopping online for clothes and all the baby gear when really what I needed to be preparing for was my adjustment into motherhood or my postpartum experience. What I truly needed was a birth plan for mom. And guess what? I've created the resource I wish I had. A child isn't the only one who needs care and support during the postpartum period. It is so important that we learn to mother the mother. And in this case, for you to learn how to cultivate your own inner mother and nurture yourself in the postpartum period. And the postpartum prep list that I created helps you to do just that. It will help you to think through and prioritize your needs in the postpartum period, as well as educate you on any of the red flags or things to be mindful of in terms of postpartum depression, anxiety, or intrusive thoughts. It is a 20-page substantial resource, and it is completely free. This is something I wish I had and I want all moms to have so they feel empowered and prepared to go into whether it's their first time birth experience or adding siblings and additional members of their family. This resource is for anyone going through that transition. You can find it at happyasamother.co slash prep list happyasamother.co slash P-R-E-P list. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. 
please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Christina, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. We were just saying it's Friday and, you know, (laughs) end of the week, and yet we're here together. I'm so grateful for your time today. So welcome. Thank you so much for the invitation and what a wonderful way to spend a Friday. So this is a great way to end the week and look forward to the weekend. Yeah, it was actually snowing here in Toronto (laughs) this morning. I am not ready, but the kids (laughs) were so excited. New York, I'm sure you will probably see some snow as well. We do, and my children can't wait. They're just so ready. The the boots, the winter coats, the hats, the mittens, they're all set to go. (laughs) Yeah, we're in the same boat. And I'm just like, oh, I need to clean off my car. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. Thank you for being here. You specialize in and talk a lot about postpartum depression, baby blues, and the difference. And we're going to dive into that topic today. Mm -hmm. It's one that we are really familiar with here on the podcast and across the platform, generally speaking. But I'm so excited to really hone in on it here with you today. Mm -hmm. Before doing that, I'd love to know how in your journey did you come to specialize in this topic? Because it's a niched area, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I just think of it as everything just came together. And working with peripartum women was the ultimate fulfillment of all the things I love to do. And so I would say, you know, it really brought together my love of science and the brain. You know, I was a psychology and neuroscience major in college. And then in medical school, I loved obstetrics, but I wasn't sure if I really wanted to be a surgeon and do surgery, but I loved labor and delivery and women's health. And then I love psychiatry. I love the brain. I loved endocrinology and hormones. Yes. And so I was wondering, you know, how do I bring all these together? And so I did do a specialty training in psychiatry as a physician. And it was my first year I was working on our inpatient unit and a woman was admitted to our hospital she had just given birth and it was her first child. And I was the intern who was working with the attending to take care of her. And she presented not with postpartum depression or with baby blues, but a different perinatal mental illness or psychiatric illness that can occur after childbirth called postpartum psychosis. Mm -hmm. And for her, it was part of bipolar disorder, which again is different than postpartum depression. But, you know, this mom had had no symptoms, no history of depression or anxiety or any other issues, was well in pregnancy. And within three days of giving birth, you know, was was having significant impairment. She was wandering her neighborhood at two in the morning and it was it was quite cold. It was, you know, in the late fall, early winter. And she was out there in her, you know, in her pajamas without proper clothing on. And she was walking the baby around the neighborhood and, and just was very confused and just was unable really to care for herself or the baby. Mm-hmm. And so she came into the hospital and I was just so struck of, you know, like this healthy woman just gave birth. How, what happened during childbirth that could have impacted her brain functioning in this way, the brain circuitry. Mm -hmm. And so that really led me to dedicating my life to understand, you know, is there a hormonal component and how do our female hormones and sex steroids impact our brain functioning throughout our lives. And, you know, women are more likely to develop depression or anxiety than men, 
from the moment of our first menstrual cycle right through menopause. So there is a hormonal component, but we still don't really understand it. Mm-hmm. And so I you know, just did more and more training on the hormone side, on the brain side. And now, I mean, for the past 15 years, I've only cared for women during pregnancy or after delivery. So I've specialized all my research is in this area as well. And I lead an entire team of psychiatrists, psychologists, and therapists. And we train a lot of our healthcare professionals who are trainees in reproductive mood disorders and perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, because we just really, we, we must continue to get the word out and the education out to our future clinicians. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is the place I need to be. I love my job. I love going to work each day, working with my team. We're all dedicated to women's health and to work with the moms, the babies, the families. It's, it's just very rewarding. So yeah. Yes. I can feel your passion. <laughs> I, I, I get so excited. I, I know. I just it. love it. <laughs> no, I absolutely love it. And I share the same passion and my experiences both from a a clinical perspective and working with moms, but then also my own perspective and experience with my own postpartum depression and anxiety that really ignited this whole journey for this platform and, you know, the message of what we do here. And thank you so much for the work you do here because it's just so needed. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for the work that you're doing with clinicians because I feel like we are maybe potentially, hopefully starting to emerge from this place of like, oh, you're just hormonal. It's just your hormones. And we're sort of gaslit and dismissed. And now there's research being dedicated to understanding this element of women's health that has gone so underserviced and underrecognized. So it's like we don't have all the information that we need, but it's really hopeful and encouraging that we're heading in the direction that we're pouring resources and time and energy into this field because it's so incredibly necessary. Yes, absolutely. I get a lot questions about, is this baby blues? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm two or three months postpartum and I'm not feeling like myself. I think I have a case of the baby blues. And I would really love for us to parse out and really well define like what are baby blues? What do they look like versus what is postpartum depression and how does it present and Mm -hmm. look and feel? So that those who are listening can really maybe better understand where they fall in that a little bit more. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about ways to get help and all of that near the end. Well, I, I mean, I tell you what an important question because, you know, clinicians struggle with this one too. You know, and we do so much education with, you know, midwives and doulas and obstetricians and other healthcare providers. They struggle with knowing you know, is, is this sort of the normal stuff or should I be concerned or should, you know, should I help her link to services? And it's challenging. Uh, and so, so I would say, you know, there are a couple key things that we look for and differentiate baby blues from postpartum depression. And I would say, you know, like they're kind of buckets. So severity, how strong the symptoms are, the onset, when did the symptoms begin? And then how long are they lasting, the duration of the symptoms? And so Mm -hmm. baby blues, we often see, so for the severity on the more mild end, um, you know, scale one to 10, they're sitting around a two, three, four. They're kind of in that lower end. They usually peak several days after delivery. And so the onset is right after, and that can mirror postpartum depression for onset. Right. But the offset is usually within the first two weeks. So the symptoms will resolve within two weeks. And so if that is the case, 
then it wouldn't be postpartum depression. So for the woman you noted, presenting at two to three months postpartum with still symptoms, unlikely to be baby blues because it's too far out of the window, right? Because it should have resolved within two weeks. You know, where symptoms of postpartum depression could still be mild and have that onset, but when they're left untreated or undertreated, they could last for several months or even over a year. The symptoms can mirror each other, but what we see is, again, in baby blues, just much more mild. And so we see that there are, you know, the mood changes, but it tends to be more of a roller coaster. So I would say that there's fluctuations in the mood symptoms. So day to day, the mood feels different. And in contrast with postpartum depression, you're having the sadness or loss of interest or pleasure in, you know, hobbies or things you enjoy it's stable. So the symptoms are there to some extent day to day to day. Mm -hmm. So again, baby blues, they're kind of coming and going. With postpartum depression, they're more stable and the symptoms are more daily in occurrence. Also, we see tearfulness, uh, crying spells. You could see that in both baby blues and postpartum depression. But what I, you know, I see in, in the moms I work with is that for women with baby blues, you know, they'll say that there's like sort of a disconnect between their crying episodes or their tearfulness. And they'll say, well, I'm crying, but I don't know why. Where women with postpartum depression, they'll say, I'm feeling sad. I'm not enjoying my baby as I thought I would. And I'm not enjoying, you know, being a mom. I'm overwhelmed. I'm having these guilty thoughts. There's the symptoms of the sadness and loss of interest are linked to the crying episode. So that's another way of kind of differentiating where the baby blues, you kind of have the tearfulness, but it's not really linked to sadness or you know other mm-hmm. symptoms. We see anxiety and irritability in both baby blues and postpartum depression. But again, the feelings of being overwhelmed or anxious are very mild and don't impair the mom from either caring for herself or her family. That's like a big clinical distinction between the two. Because in postpartum depression, the anxiety can be there every day and completely disabling and overwhelming. We don't see as much sleep disturbance in baby blues. Obviously, the baby is just disrupting your sleep but and <laughs> continues to do so for a long time. But um, I know it's just like a milestone. Like I remember my husband, I like celebrated when, when, when my first one like slept through the night. It was like a time for joy, you know? <laughs> so, yes. And, as it should be. But with postpartum depression, you know, the mom's sleep is interrupted kind of at each sleep phase. They have difficulty falling asleep often because of the worried brain, the brain that won't shut off. And then when they get up in the middle of the night to care for the baby, which we're going to do, right? They can't get back to sleep. So if it's taking longer than 20 minutes to fall back asleep in the middle of the night, then that is a sign that there's a sleep disruptance as well. Mm -hmm. And then also some moms with postpartum depression, they wake up too early. So they're up at 4 a.m. and then they're kind of up for the day and they really, really want to sleep a few more hours. And I think that's why it's so confusing is because, you know, if a woman does talk to her healthcare provider, says, well, I'm having some symptoms of of sadness or a couple crying spells, I'm a little bit more on edge or agitation. So where do you draw the line? And again, the severity, the length of duration of the symptoms. So if, if it is and the onset is close to childbirth and not impairing, you know, their ability to be a mom and take care of herself and her family then it's baby blues. But when it's more severe, 
more symptoms that are daily, the symptoms are connected and lasting longer, then it would meet criteria likely as a major depressive episode or postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. And I look for very similar things with clients mm-hmm. where are we within that two to three week window of childbirth? Are we able to function? Mm-hmm. Are there moments of happiness? Yes. Or, yes, yes. Right? Yeah. Or is it sort of a consistent feeling of feeling low mm-hmm. and lots of those pieces? Yes. As you were describing clinicians having a hard time deciphering, maybe we can even back this out and step back a little bit to before postpartum mm-hmm. while we're in pregnancy, mm-hmm. because I feel like this is such an overlooked yeah. time for a diagnosis of depression mm-hmm. or any mental health challenges, though very high risk to occur because of the hormonal changes that are happening, right? So maybe we can even start with what's normal hormonal pregnancy Mm -hmm. and what might we consider speaking to our doctor Mm -hmm. about in terms of mood and crying spells or or whatever that might be. Yeah. So it has to be stated that about half of what we call postpartum depression starts in pregnancy, right? Yes, and yeah. so that's the clinical diagnosis of perinatal onset is that it can start either in pregnancy or after delivery. So, so I don't know if one day we're going to finally change from postpartum depression to perinatal depression because I don't want clinicians or women to think it's only a postpartum thing because we do have women who present with some mood symptoms in pregnancy. Well, like, well, it can't be postpartum depression. I haven't delivered my baby yet, you know? Right. And and we don't want that to happen because we know if women are having some mood symptoms in pregnancy, that can be a sign that they're at risk for developing more severe symptoms after they deliver. But women can have different trajectories. So it's very true that women can have some symptoms of the hormones. You know, these hormone levels are high and they're having effects on our brain chemistry and our brain circuitry. They're remodeling our brains to motherhood and to do all the things that we need to do as a a mom. But sometimes we can have some symptoms. We've had prior stress or we have other stressors in our life. So women can be a little bit more anxious about the pregnancy or birth outcomes or you know, especially if there's any concern about mom's medical risk during the pregnancy. So we do see a lot of women that actually partake in our research and observational studies where, you know, they may have what's considered high risk pregnancy due to high blood pressure or diabetes or, or something going on. Maybe the placenta is in a different position that creates some risk for the baby. And they're very concerned and focused on that. And so, you know, those things, that's, pretty normal. You know, we don't want to pathologize normal worry about mom's health and the baby's well-being because we Mm -hmm. expect to see that. And obviously, you know, with the concerns of COVID as well, we see much more kind of pregnancy-related stress, but it's not an anxiety disorder and it's not postpartum depression or perinatal depression, but rather the stressors of the current environment we're in, or if, like I said, if, if mom has some complications with her pregnancy. So seeing, you know, mild changes in mood, again, they're more likely to like come and go. They're sporadic. So women will say, I had a couple hours of a low mood, you know, on Tuesday, but Wednesday I had a great day. I went out with my sister and we enjoyed ourselves and their sleep seems to be fine. And it's just, you know, sort of a patchwork of things. But overall, mom's functioning well. 
She's still looking forward to the delivery. She's looking forward to the baby. We don't see any impairment. So Mm -hmm. again, in contrast to depression in pregnancy, you would see those daily symptoms of sadness, loss of interest and pleasure, sleep disturbance. You know, the sleep disturbance is it's not just that I can't get comfortable, my belly's out to here. Mm -hmm. It is just, these women are tortured at night. They just cannot sleep. They can't fall asleep, can't stay asleep. And I don't want clinicians in pregnancy say, well, you're pregnant. So yeah, sleep is going to be challenging. That's just completely dismissing their symptoms. You can really, when you take care of moms that, you know, have healthy pregnancies and moms are at risk, and then women with clinical depression, the differences are striking. And so we do a lot of education around this because we don't want women sidelined or not listened to and just say, oh, it's just the hormones. Yeah, the hormones really matter, but it's not just to say that just deal with it because you know, you're know you having the symptoms. Mm-hmm. So we do want women to advocate for themselves and talk to their healthcare providers about how they're feeling so that they don't have to figure it out alone. Right. Yeah. A little bit of, I guess, self-disclosure in my experience was I had three, three and under. Mm-hmm. I was pregnant with my third, mm-hmm. still breastfeeding my second. It mm-hmm. was chaos. And the fatigue that I mm-hmm. felt while pregnant with my third, I still don't know if it was normal amounts of fatigue. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just sort of this dread to do mm-hmm. each day. Mm-hmm. But with two littles, I'm pregnant. Like it's kind of like it's so hard to determine when to get help and not get help. And and so when finally baby was born and then things started to settle into place with the kids and I still was not okay Mm. in terms of the fatigue and the low mood and the Mm. not feeling like myself and just like how come everybody's like laughing and happy? I'm miserable over here. Like, you know, these types of just having these key moments of like, everybody is so lighthearted and finds life so enjoyable right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am miserable. This mm-hmm. is not, you know, yeah. um, that were key moments for me to really seek my own care and treatment and support mm-hmm. that made a night and day difference. I'm so yeah. glad and thankful that I did. But in retrospect, thinking back, I'm sure that that started in pregnancy, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And was dismissed by myself and probably not recognized by providers because it's such a tricky thing to parse out because the symptoms sort of mimic each other in Mm -hmm. a way. So it's a a tricky time. It is. It is. Because, you know, and also I think we find other reasons for them. We're like, well, you know, I have some stress at work or you know, I have this going on or, you know, maybe I'm not getting enough sleep that I should. So that's why I'm tired. And we try to rationalize our symptoms sometimes, you know, and find other answers or other reasons for them. And, and so I just want to encourage women to, you know, within their considerations of what might this be due to that, you know, you said fatigue or restless sleep or inability to fall asleep to keep within that, like, yes, it might be that you had coffee too late in the afternoon and that's why you can't sleep, but just keep this on your radar that brain health is really important. And could it be some anxiety or could it be some depression that's maybe starting to bubble up or starting in pregnancy? Keep it on the radar as a consideration and not to dismiss it, you know, for some women that have a hard time sharing their symptoms with others or wanting to talk to others, you know, about their symptoms. Mm -hmm. That's why support is so important. And to have others around you also educated to know what to expect with a healthy pregnancy and what to expect when 
there's some anxiety or, or sadness or depression there. So yeah. So mom doesn't have to be doing it alone. Yeah. And there's some things that I've put these in Instagram posts before as well. Mm. There's some things that I found myself saying, but I also find clients saying mm. often mm-hmm. things like, I don't feel like myself yeah. or maybe I should get some help. Mm-hmm. If you're at a place where you're questioning, hmm, I should seek some support or maybe I should talk to my doctor about this, chances are you should probably have a conversation with your doctor yeah. about it, yeah. right? Things like irritability and rage. Actually, why don't we go there? Because there yeah. was an interesting study that came out of BC a couple of years ago mm-hmm. now, probably. Christine, ooh, I believe the name was. Mm. Oh, gosh, don't quote me. It made a clinical sort of association between rage and postpartum depression in the postpartum period and talking mm-hmm. about it as one of the most like maybe not the most overlooked, like a symptom that presents itself often, that is often overlooked as a symptom of of depression, right? So can we speak to that irritability piece? Yeah. And, and you know, and that's the other thing, right? So, you know, we have our diagnosis and our psychiatry manual that has all the signs and symptoms. And, yes. you know, one of the things that I think we also have to understand is that each woman can have a slightly different mix. Right. Right. And also that we see, again, compared to depression outside of the perinatal period, we see it as a very anxious depression for many women. And with that anxiety, that could be just plain irritability, you know, not necessarily worry, right? Women may not say, well, I'm not feeling worried about things, but feeling on edge and agitated and irritable, short tempered, right? you know, having a very low threshold, being very abrupt or rageful. And so making sure that women and clinicians understand that as being a potential symptom, either with its roots in anxiety or in depression. Um, Mm -hmm. And that women that have a perinatal, either during pregnancy or after delivery, onset of the symptoms, that that is a common presenting symptom. You know, often women present with that, like, you know, like I'm being a bear, I'll, you know, use that word and not something else to my partner right now. And I don't know how he's living with me because I'm really being mean to him, you know, mm-hmm. and, they, and they'll say, it's not myself. I'm not usually like this. And, and exactly. then you know, they say it's due to the hormones. And, and so, so yeah, it's an important symptom to bring up because it's much more common. And you know, we don't really have that listed as kind of the key symptoms, right? But it can be one of the presenting symptoms that women will identify that I'm, you know, this is kind of out of character for me. I'm not myself. And I love that you brought up the point of not feeling myself because that's how we'll ask it. Like, when was the last time you felt like yourself? Mm. And they're like, I think it was like fourth, my fourth month of pregnancy, or it was the seventh month of pregnancy, or it was three weeks yeah. after delivery, or, you know, they'll be able to tell you exactly when that transition started for them. And again, a unique experience for each woman. Yeah. Yeah. In my experience, I think that the baseline slowly mm. eroded over time. Yeah. Yep. Three yep. kids in, the baseline was sort of like, could not be determined, you know, but some of the key moments, and these are even red flags for you to listen out for, for mom friends or for partners who might, you know, tune in. Mm -hmm. Like if you hear a friend saying, I'm just not 
feeling like myself. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just not, you know, it's a major red flag. And that's what I I had said to my husband. Like if I'm not, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like myself. And if I can't come out of this in the next like week or two, I'm going to have to speak to my doctor because this is not me. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, but I know it's not me. Yeah. And if you can resonate with that feeling, I encourage you. Seeking support was the best thing I ever did for myself, Mm -hmm. for my children, for my marriage. And there's a lot, I feel like, of stigma and shame associated Mm -hmm. around that for a lot of people who are maybe blindsided by the fact that they wrestle with their mental health after motherhood, Mm -hmm. who maybe never had. I was a therapist who works with people day in and day out on managing their anxiety and depression. And here I was sitting on the couch in this really distinct moment of like, Everyone in this house is standing to have a conversation right now. They're just standing around like they have the energy to stand around and talk. I don't have the energy to get up from where I'm sitting. Yeah. Right? You know, there has been research and recent surveys that really, you know, kind of put numbers on that, that, you know, that women don't want to, you know, for some women, it's they don't want to bother others, or they feel guilt or embarrassment, or they're not sure how their family and friends can help. There's recognizing that you're not feeling yourself, but then there's also like, so where do I go from here? Right. And what's that next step? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why, you know, having, like you said, the support in place and for you to, you know, vocalize like, okay, you know, something's off and we're going to play it by year. We're going to monitor the situation, but let's give it a week. And then we need to do next, next steps, you know, whatever that next step is. And so having that planning in place is is really critical because that gets you to where you need to be, where you want to be. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready to eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week, like breakfast, on the go lunch snacks and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code MOMWELL50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both. 
whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's zocdoccom slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a big question that comes in in terms of the persistence of these symptoms. Mm. So the question kind of comes in in two different ways. One, can and will my postpartum depression go away on its own without treatment? And two, the other sort of similar one is I'm past the postpartum period. Mm -hmm. Is it still considered postpartum depression? And to that, like the onset, if it's during the perinatal period, we would consider it Mm -hmm. perinatal depression, right? It has to do with the onset in time. Mm -hmm. So just to to clear that up for anybody who's listening, but then the next piece being, do we overcome these symptoms just sort of spontaneously on our own or? So there are some women that, you know, will have a mild, you know, major depressive episode. It's a major depressive episode, but you know, they're able to engage in other wellness activities that can help them. So if it's exercise, sleep protection and sleep hygiene, and they have a lot of support around them, allowing them to sleep, take shifts, you know, getting things done, don't have other stressors that allow the symptoms to persist. There are some women who the symptoms will, you know, resolve. When I take a history from women, they'll say, you know, I had this with my first child, Mm. but it lasted about a month and I had all the symptoms I have now. It's just that now they're more severe and I'm three months in and they're not going away, right? So that's what Mm -hmm. she'll present. And so sometimes women with their first might have more mild presentation. And it's, again, it's not baby blues because the onset was later Mm -hmm. and the symptoms were longer and there was impairment, but it wasn't severe impairment. Again, even with a diagnosis of clinical depression, it goes from mild to very severe. So there's a great range in the severity and impact of symptoms women can have. And that's very personal, very, very individualized. But then sometimes they come with their second and they said, this is different. Like I recognized it. I had a lot of the same symptoms, a lot of the same onset, but it's not passing. And so, yes, you know, there are some cases where it can resolve on its own, but we don't have good data on that because of those, many of those women aren't seeking clinical care. Mm, and mm-hmm. so we don't have good information on what percentage may resolve spontaneously. Obviously, if they've made it to my office, 
it's not resolving. And so, right, right. so all the women that I care for have symptoms that are persistent. I've had women, you know, come to me nine months postpartum, a year postpartum right. and say, I've not felt well since I delivered the baby or I've not felt well. I actually had a woman who came in, she was pregnant with her second. And so she had symptoms in her first pregnancy and no prior history of depression, but had symptoms in her pregnancy, delivered her first little one, and then became pregnant several months later with her second and was still depressed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now with her second pregnancy, she had no known, no times of a normal mood without symptomatology. So so the symptoms can persist. There was a study in the journal Pediatrics, which is the top journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics, and symptoms in some women, they looked at the trajectories, even women out three years from delivery yeah. still had symptoms of postpartum depression. So we know that it can take on a very chronic course if undertreated or untreated. Yeah. And I like the idea, maybe we can shift into some of this planning or how do we, mm-hmm. when do we make a move and how do we prepare ourselves maybe for this time? Because I, I had a hard stop, you know, like yeah. I'm going to let this persist. I'm going to ride this out. Maybe I'm getting my cycle back. Maybe something's happening, mm-hmm. but I give it a week or two at most. And then we're going to come up with a game plan. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like how long should we wait it out under the hope that these symptoms may lift? Yeah. So if it's in pregnancy, you know, there's no baby blues equivalent. I mean, I guess there's, you know, you can still have the kind of the smattering of symptoms that, you know, really do need to, if you're having them over the course of pregnancy, right, we're monitored either every four weeks or every two weeks with our obstetrician or obstetrical providers. And, you know, if you go a visit and you don't bring it up, and you're still having the symptoms, mm. your next visit, bring it up, right, right? right? And so just let that anchoring kind of remind you that, yes, you're here to have the ultrasound and to have this done and pee in a cup and do all that. Mm. Bring up your brain health too, not just your blood sugar, your blood pressure, but your brain, do a brain health check. And after delivery, again, I guess that timing that we talked about is so critical. So, you know, if the symptoms are impairing the first week of delivery, then don't wait to your six week postpartum check, Mm. right? Bring it up. But if they're mild and not impairing, you can wait till you get to that two, three week. But then if they start to continue or worsen, then again, call into your healthcare professional's office and not wait. You know, it doesn't mean that you're going to require pharmacotherapy or medications, but maybe there are supportive groups or peer groups or other types of things, you know, but start getting the planning in place, you know, a a treatment plan in place or support plan in place if it's persisting several weeks. Mm -hmm. So it's usually, you know, we need at least two weeks of daily symptoms to diagnose a depressive episode. So anything going on longer than that is something to bring up with their healthcare provider. Absolutely. Yeah, that's something really important for us to think about. Like, you know, it's Mm -hmm. the severity and the persistence beyond two weeks and how disruptive it is. Mm -hmm. And are we able to care for ourselves or baby Mm -hmm. things? Like, are we having a hard time mustering up the energy to even like cook ourselves food and do basic Mm -hmm. hygiene things? And my experience was not like a tearful sad. It was just a fatigue. It was just, you know... 
mm-hmm. uh, like sloth mode. Like I slowed right down mm-hmm. to like this sloth mode where it was very not like me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so many like really, really helpful things here to consider. And so now if somebody is maybe pregnant and listening, or if they are maybe in the postpartum period and wondering like, are there some things that I can be doing for myself or how can I be preparing for knowing that this is a high risk time and I want to care for my brain health and my mental health during this transition? Yeah. So there are, as we said, that new moms and even moms who are moms for the second, third or fourth time, they just feel so pressured to do it all. Mm. And you know, whether that's during pregnancy or after delivery, they're so busy taking care of the baby and taking care of everyone else in their lives that often they're not empowered to take care of themselves. So there's a resource called mycheckonmom.com and it has great resources to help women and their partners and their families and their friends to think through a maternal wellness plan for their brain health, for their mental and emotional well-being. So the types of things women can say they'd love help with are doing dishes or pet care or caring for other children, watching the baby, some housework ideas. Because during this time period, sort of those ordinary tasks that we do day to day become overwhelming, either just from an exhaustion level for caring for this little baby, or there are some women who have birth complications and postpartum hemorrhage, and they have physical issues that are impairing them. So part of the wellness plan is what can people do at a physical level to help you out? But then also, how do we maintain our wellness or support wellness? So if that is getting a good night's sleep or taking a shower, mm-hmm. right? I remember having like, the baby in the car seat, like right outside my shower because I felt <laughs> like I couldn't leave the baby in the other room unattended. So I'd put the car seat like on the floor and I'd be trying to shower really fast, you know? So can somebody help with that, right? Watch the baby while you take a shower and brush your teeth. But also like, you know, time for self-care, time for meditation or time with loved ones, time with your partner or older children, what's important to each mom. So often everybody's checking on the baby, mm-hmm. but not checking on mom. So yeah, it takes, I think the onus off mom because we know that women are less likely to ask for support. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to plan all these other things like the baby's well child checks and, you know, the nursery and this and that, the car seat checks. And, but also, you know, physical care and wellness care for the mom. And that includes brain health. I just want moms to remember their brains and their emotional health during this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a resource here at Happiest Mother called the Postpartum Prep List. And it follows, I don't know if you've heard of Nests. Mm -hmm. It comes up with ideas and problem solves support so that you can focus on your nutrition, your exercise, your sleep, yes. time for self, yes. and support. Mm-hmm. Also creating like a wellness plan mm-hmm. and who you can call in a pinch if needed. Mm-hmm. And those resources and some of that pre-planning, um, knowing that there will be hard and challenging moments is yeah. so important because when you're in not that it is a full-blown crisis, but it might be, or it might feel like that at two in the morning, Mm -hmm. um, knowing who you can turn to, maybe having some information in our prep list. We have the sort of red flags for postpartum depression versus baby blues and postpartum anxiety and some of these Mm -hmm. things so that you feel a little bit more prepared on what to look out for. I really love this idea of 
not only having something for mom to prepare, but having something for partners to be prepared, Mm -hmm. to be on the lookout for mom. I feel like that is a really important piece because in my first time new motherhood, I was very focused on wanting to do things right. And in my own perfectionist, you know, Mm -hmm. way, trying to do all the things. And if my partner had maybe known to say, just go get some sleep, just go, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be the one that does it, right? I love that idea for partners to be informed and brought in on that support because mom is, you know, in it, in the Mm -hmm. weeds too Mm -hmm. much to maybe see it, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the sleep deprivation can really make it hard to kind of see what's going on, you know? And so to make sure that others know what to look for, right? And that there's other, you know, again, it's just not mom alone. This is a family. This is a you know, much larger plan. So having those others involved and committed to, you know, what we know is that for babies to thrive, moms have to thrive and families mm. have to thrive. And so to kind of bring us back to that and not just leave it as, well, mom has to take care of her wellness, you know, like she's got a lot on her plate right now. Right, you know? so, right. <laughs> and giving the tools because sometimes the partners aren't sure how to help or they're not sure what's going to happen, you know, and this is new for them too. And so just providing the education, the resources for that support network are important. And I, I mean, like another study came out today that showed that women who are well-supported can have a milder course and do better than we know than women who lack that support. So there's a lot of research behind the benefits of this type of support and education. So mm-hmm. I have all the wheels turning on freebies that we can create and ways that we can support, which is really exciting. We also launched a freebie Mm -hmm. called the Sibling Plan where Mm -hmm. it is a package that you can give to the person who's going to watch the older sibling when you're Uh going to the hospital so that mom doesn't have to stress or worry or feel like she needs to like update, you know, (laughs) childcare providers. Like everything is in this little packet and, Mm -hmm. and she knows, you know, that it's covered and it's there because feeling like you're torn between these two places can be right. really hard oh in goodness. that experience. So yeah, we, oh, that's um, phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Centering mom and trying to get as much support surrounding her as we can. I have one final question for you that I often get as a clinician myself. And I would just, I'm so curious to know what your response might be. But I often hear from moms like, will I feel like myself again? Mm -hmm. And I'd just love to close our interview out with your thoughts on that. Yes, you can feel like yourself again. And so there are so many types of treatments available. And sometimes, you know, it can take a little bit to find the one that's a great fit for each person, right? So for each woman, the combination of things that bring her back to her wellness might be different. For some, Mm -hmm. it's peer support. Others, it's individual or group psychotherapies. You know, there are many methods that are out there. We do have to increase access for sure. Right. But research has been done. We know what works. And again, in more moderate, severe, there are medications that can help too. And so we tell each woman that, you know, we don't know the time course. You know, it could be a couple of weeks. It could take a couple of months. It depends on so many variables, on their medical history, their mental health history, the types of therapies they want to try first. But we get each mom back to wellness, and, mm-hmm. um, and that's the goal. And the really, my goal as a physician is to do that as quickly as possible. Yeah, We have to prioritize mom's emotional health. 
so that she can be the best that she can be and wants to be and do everything that she wants to do and is also able to care for her family, care for her newborn. It's not just, you know, to get better for the sake of being able to care for your family. It's mom deserves to feel well. And we want women to feel empowered to recognize the symptoms and understand that, you know, again, it's a medical complication, just as you would go to seek treatment for, you know, a headache or migraines or high blood pressure, that it deserves treatment and women deserve to feel like themselves again and and can get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And if you're listening and you feel like, you know, you're dreading each day in motherhood or you feel like you aren't having moments of happiness or joy in your role, you can feel like yourself again. If you're feeling that, you know, you've strayed from yourself or you've lost yourself in some way, you can feel like yourself again. So we do all of this to help equip you with the knowledge that you need and to empower you and encourage you to seek support because the right supports are available to you. Sometimes they take a little bit of digging to find, Mm -hmm. but they are there. And we will make sure to link all of the information and resources we talked about today in the show notes so that you can have access to those. Thank you so much, Dr. Christina, for your time today. Where can people find you or your website where you hang out online to maybe continue to learn from you or seek you out? Sure. So I am at Northwell Health in New York. I'm on Long Island and in Metro New York City. We're right on the border of Queens and Long Island. If you just Google my name, uh, our website, our Women's Behavioral Health Program will come up and We have a Facebook page that has a variety of evidence-based resources and links to a variety of things for for peripartum women, but also around the menopause and for premenstrual dysphoric disorders. So really, we look at the whole lifespan of women, um, Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of perinatal resources there on our Facebook page. So that's the Women's Behavioral Health Program at Zucker Hillside Hospital. You can also encourage your listeners to visit mycheckonmom.com for another option for really building out that support team. Mm -hmm. Yes, we'll make sure to link all of those resources and your practice and all those things in the show notes. And again, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you again. It's such a pleasure. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, for the girls who want more. 
Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.